we've been talking to different chefs about kind of their involvement uh, in different uh, angles of culinary competition. We had Ed Leonard, uh, who was on the show, and he had competed uh, and was the manager for the U.S. culinary team when that competition takes place in Germany. Uh, and we're, we're reaching out to some different chefs that have competed, but in different capacities. Obviously, uh, you've had a great, uh, a great career in, in the competition with Top Chef has, has influenced that. Uh, you all, I think you've made incredible contributions to the, the brand as well with Top Chef, and that's been wildly popular. So we wanted to kind of dive in and, and just kind of get your perspective uh, on, on how it's kind of uh, impacted your trajectory and, and, sure. and, and how it's kind of shaped uh, who you are uh, professionally and, and personally as a, as a chef today. Maybe just kind of give us an overview of your background and, and what, you, what you do today. Sure, 100%. Um, yep. So I, I, I grew up in a very small, humble town, 5,000 people back in Connecticut, right? Uh, you know, born to a Dominican father and Italian mother. So food was very much a part of my culture, right? I didn't grow up eating Oreo cookies, right? We had my lunches <laughs> consisted of, you know, pickles, pig's feet, olive loaf. Wow. Um, so obviously nobody wanted to trade lunches with me. Right. <laughs> um, but, but little did I know as much as I didn't appreciate that and only wanted like a Snickers or, a, you know, maybe a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. My, my father specifically was teaching me, educating my palate. Right. On Sundays, you know, he, he allowed us to drink wine, um, smoke cigars at a very young age. But little did I know, like, again, he was just finessing and introducing flavors to uh, to my palate, which was exciting. Right. Um, it was my Tia Carmen, my father's sister. So I grew up in a very militant home. Uh, it was my, my Dominican Tia who taught me the passion and the power of food, right? And how it could transform essentially anything, right? Inspire people, um, make people think and be, be provocative and compelled. Even just a simple, whether it's a French fries or fish and chips, like it, it can move people, right? So in that moment as a nine-year-old boy, I knew I wanted to become a chef, right? Wow. And that's kind of fast forwarding. You know, no, it, it was almost an obsession, I, I must admit to you, right? Uh, I went to the Culinary Institute of America. Um, you know, what people might not know, I actually was, you know, part of the ACF and part, you know, really uh, prior to going to the Culinary Institute of America, I trained with a, an Irish chef, uh, Chef Mark, um, who was taking the Master Chef's exam, you know, like wow. you did, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm 17 years old. I haven't even gone to culinary school and I'm training you know, with this chef, right? Wow. Uh, and it totally, you know, waking up at 4 a.m., you know, spending endless hours, as you already know, you know, proof in the pudding, right? Um, so then I just catapulted in, was so inspired. And as I said, it was an obsession. And I went to the Institute of America and like, you know, in A Block, I already was trying out for their culinary team. So, um, you know, I didn't want to wear the black and the whites. I wanted to um, you know, in a block, as you know, I wanted to be in, in a cooking outfit. Right. So I tried right. out for the Olympic team, made the team um, and, you know, uh, was part of that culinary team that won a gold medal and, you know, competing against other culinary schools. Right. Kind of just bringing this all full circle. I ended up working in, in um, New York City for Jean Georges. Right. Uh, was on Top Chef three times. And um, that brings me to today. Those are more the bulleted versions of my career. <laughs> Wow, that's there's actually a lot of parallels uh, then even to our you know our our background with just like the competition in school and the whole exposure to the CMC 
Uh, and, and definitely going through that experience. I mean, it kind of like plants a seed for at least kind of seeing, you know, what, what it takes to be able to, to do culinary competition. Cause you know, not mm-hmm. everybody it's, you know, it's not really aligned with everybody's, uh, commitment to be able to compete, uh, is kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it's different than just what, you know, going in and cooking Italian food, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, it's a, mm-hmm. more of a regiment. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that your that that culinary training with uh, Jean Georges and uh, with with Top Chef has and also also kind of just growing up and having sure. that great great food when you were younger has has that kind of influenced like your style of cooking today? I mean, obviously there's things that you were exposed to that, that things that you like to eat, but has that kind of like shaped uh, your style like and and maybe explain your style? Uh, sure. for, for how you cook today. Sure, sure. So I'll break it up into different chapters of my life, right? So growing up in this militant Dominican home, right, where, you know, chores were taken seriously, waking up at 5 a.m. to to go work in the garden. Not, I wasn't playing kickball or flying kites. I was working 5 a.m. Even on school days, I was up, up in the garden at times, weeding, tilling, right? So I think growing up, you know, there's regiment, there's consistency, right? Little did I know, you know, my dad in a Dominican home, like we ate rice, like rice and beans, you know, Christopher, you could, you could attest to that. <laughs> and that was my job, right. Was to clean rice. And, you know, my dog, my dad was like a, a prison guard. He would, you know, be behind me and watching me. And if there was a grain, you know, I'd go grain by grain by grain in this long wow. wooden bowl. And if there was, you know, a pebble or a dirty rice, there was hell to pay. So it was about what you're going to do. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it with intention. You're going to do it with details, right? So that was my earlier chapter. But I think that really created the, you know, uh, going to Jean-Georges, right? Who's just, you know, truly like a father figure and a mentor to me. Um, it's just, you know, at that level in a three Michelin star environment, um, it's just, you know, it's that compounded effect of details, the details compounding, and that's how you get brilliance, right? It's, it's, it's in those areas that, People might look past, but we look too, right? And that's what creates that brilliance. So I think that environment created, you know, taught me to be more very detail oriented. And it's like that one person, one and two percent that really sees that subtle shift. And you know, in competing, it's just that 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 hairline maneuver, you know, moving positioning of some a plate, right, or positioning of a duck or a protein or a vegetable, right? That's what the difference is. So being maniacal and almost obsessive about those details. Um, and obviously just simplicity is excellence, right? You talk about my style today, and I really take that mantra from Jean George that I do believe that, you know, as a, I'm a chef by trade, but I'm a storyteller, right? And, you know, maybe when I was young, I would cook with, you know, maybe there was a flair of ego, like, let me show them how beautiful I can make the plate, but maybe it didn't taste good. So I think now it's, my style per se is, you know, at Tia Carmen, it's really, how could I be the conduit? How could I be the storyteller of the farmer, right? How could I be the storyteller of the ingredient? And then taking that mantra of like simplicity is excellence or less is more. How do I tell that story if it's an heirloom carrot or tomato? How do I not add ego to it, but share that story and really bring that ingredient to life? Well, you mentioned the rice, man, what a completely different paradigm than where we're at today. And people just, you go onto Instacart and you just add to cart, add to cart, add to cart versus like really like working for your food, you know? And I I think Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people just don't, they've never experienced that. And, you know, we take so many things for granted, but that's a really unique experience that, that that you've had. Um, 
How, and one thing too, just you mentioned like with Jean George and some of the things you've talked about, I, I, I feel like for me over the years, I've really have gained more of an appreciation for uh, simplicity and mm-hmm. the, the really great chefs actually do simplicity really well. Like they could take something like a bulb of fennel and do something extraordinary with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, rewind back in the earlier parts of your career, as, as you mentioned, you know, there's the, you know, the ego the you know, to want to kind of add more or do this and manipulate and all these things. And, um, but the really, the great ones really just execute simplicity, just extraordinarily mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's beautiful about what you're saying too, is it, it's, <clears throat> I believe in all that we do is not only respect, right. And dignity, dignity and integrity, but it's also honoring, right? Like right. honoring the farmer, honoring the earth, right. Honoring our creator. Right. And for me cooking, you know, quote unquote, what is my style? My style is I'm an incubation of, of wellness. Like I want to make sure that I'm cooking from an intentional place of love, of passion, of charisma, of creativity, right? Because everything is energy at the end of the day, right? So we're emitting that energy and evoking that energy. And then that's when people get inspired when they, when they dab, when they, when they eat and ingest something that's made with pure intention, right? Absolutely. Uh, 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 to be honest, it's, it's, it's fascinating just to, to hear how you talk and how much passion you put into everything. And you were mentioning Tia Carmen many times. Um, and I, w- I wanted to ask you, like, what, is, I mean, I already know, but for everybody that is listening, what is Tia Carmen and what is the restaurant? Where is the restaurant located? And have you been able, how have you been able to handle all that fame coming from Top Chef, coming from different restaurants, training with Michelin Star Chef? And how is being like your lifestyle, your, your balance in life? And because we all know that in our industry actually is a, is a little bit complicated sometimes because of the crazy hours that we have to work and put into work. But all that discipline that, that you're showing and all that passion is coming from somewhere and, and you put it now into, into a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot to unpack it. So thank you for the question. Um, well, my Tia, you know, my Tia just growing up in this, like, you know, this, this quote unquote, strict environment, almost like very militant environment. Then it was like my Tia Carmen, like obviously Christopher, you know, like being in a Latin home, we're very charismatic, very passionate, right? She was just the epitome of servitude, right? Because I believe, and in my restaurants, and I always believe I'm in service too, right? We're in service to the guests, we're in service to our team, right? So my Tia Carmen taught me the essence of humility, right? So when I think, yes, you know, to be successful, you know, how do you become successful? Well, yes, it's hard work. It's being diligent. It's being focused. It's cutting out toxicity. It's, it's all of those things. But at, in essence, for me to be successful, you have to be humble, right? And you, because if you're humble, um, you're able to, re- you know, you're, you're gracious, graciously receiving good, you know, and you're giving good. So it's like that reciprocation. So I'm just endlessly giving, 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 right? I'm not giving to, for the point of receiving. I'm giving to give because I'm always in service to, and I feel very humble of how, you know, this small country, you know, you know, grew up in a, a, a town of 5,000 5, people, worked in the big city of New York City, worked in Monaco, worked in Spain, worked in France, you know, in, in Paris, you know, always just checking myself and making sure that, you know, I'm aligned with the gift because the gift could be taken anytime, right? 
Yeah, I think I think that that sounds great. And just going back to what you were talking about the rice and about the cooking and how you you kind of like how you started to to develop yourself. Um, and you were talking about simplicity. Rich was saying that too. Uh, and I can tell from my from my perspective, it's what you're doing at the restaurant. Like I've been looking at the plates and all the posting that you have on social media that we're gonna talk about that later. But it's it's just amazing how you turn something that is, let's say something like corn and you put it into a fine dining place and how you come up with all of these kind of like ideas and the discipline to have everybody to put the little details where they have to be, how you keep motivated your, your team. <laughs> I, I can flip that question on you. And I'm actually generally interested. Like you run, you run, like for me, it's inspiring. Both of you are very inspiring to me of how you run your organization. And also too, on that note of how you have a community presence, right. And how you have impact in the culinary world, but also have impact in the world. So, I mean, I know this is, you know, I'm a guest on your show, but I would love, and I'm sure that you would love, like, how do you maintain that? Chef. Well, <laughs> I, you know, for me, I always, I've always found that like surrounding yourself with, with really uh, other passionate people. And then a lot of, a lot of times just getting in that environment, um, you, you don't really know how something is going to blossom until you put yourself in a situation where maybe you're uncomfortable. Case in point, the pandemic, uh, I was asked to come on and to, to basically host the show uh, talking about, you know, how the impact, the impact of the pandemic, and it was for a podcast. And I was telling Christopher, I was like, man, you know, it was a great way to connect with people. And I was kind of inspired and intrigued by these different stories. So mm -hmm. I think kind of just getting yourself out there and putting yourself in these different situations and, and basically learning, you know, I mean, I, we're still forever students, like it doesn't ever really end. And I think that's kind of this fuel that is almost unintended just because you're putting yourself in these different situations, you know, just listening to the things you're saying, you know, you, you walk away, like after every podcast, we walk away and we've been enriched with like, obviously relationships, but also just new stories, you know, and, and it's uh, you know, I think it's contagious. I think that energy is really contagious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um with with you go ahead sorry angela go ahead no i i'm very interested and i'll don't worry I, I will answer the question uh <laughs> but but tell me because again i admire and i, I really am, am inspired by your work like how do you maintain you know you're flying around the world you have multiple operations you're doing your class how do you maintain consistency you know in a place of integrity too right right and sometimes they don't always align right but how do you I don't want to say force them to align, but how do you, you know, support the alignment? Well, I, I think that the one thing that we found is that by sharing the journey, um, we've gotten so many people that really feel like they're stakeholders in what we're, what we're doing. And when, when you do that, it's almost like you don't have to try to hold people accountable to a standard. You inspire people. I mean, that's our tagline, food inspiration adventure. You know, we're always pretty much everything we do is through the vehicle and the lens of food. It's got to be inspiring for us and for the people involved. And the adventure component is you never know what's like around the corner, like what we're going to sink our teeth into next. And, and I, I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of that excites me. Um, but I definitely feel like kind of sharing, um, the journey with everybody and kind of giving mm -hmm. everybody a platform to, mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to blossom from, to kind of grow mm -hmm. from, um, I, I, I have, uh, we have a, 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 somebody, I mean, I hate to call him a kid, but 
really during the pandemic, one of my neighbors had asked us, Hey, we've got Mark uh, wants to get into the kitchen and he's thinking about maybe going down the path of culinary school. And here we are. It's like, I don't know, it's maybe it's been like two years now. I don't know, but he kind of came in just watching and now he's worked in like baking and pastries and he's made soups. He's working at roots now smoking briskets and uh, it's just kind of amazing to see like this journey that he had. And all we did is just kind of gave, here's the resources and it, it, it's, it, but it's attracting those kind of people that yeah. I think have, have really helped. And, you know, in your own organization, I mean, having the, the right people in place is that, I mean, that that's, to me, that's the key. Um, yeah. That's the key, having the, having, getting the right people uh, attracted to what, what you're doing. I wanted to, add, uh, I wanted to add to what Rich is saying that um, to keep, like you say, consistency and discipline and everything. Uh, one of the things that we spend most of the time with Rich, more than brainstorming, is always looking for solutions and not, not focusing on the problems and just like thinking about being positive. That's what I would say that that's one of the biggest points to keep everybody online and everybody like keep motivating everybody just because if you we focus too much on the problem, you start to put that negativity into right. people and they're going to start complaining and looking for a complaint. At the end of the day, we're, we're all looking for results, that's right. right? And that's the main idea. I'm always giving the best example, in my opinion, since I started working with Bridge, just cutting the tape with your scissors, having your, your little set of, uh, of your kit of tools and whenever you're labeling something, cutting it with the scissors, it make a whole difference. When you walk into places and you're just tearing apart the tape, it's it's about lifestyle, in my opinion, everything that we do. But just like having that discipline for some of the things, yeah. you're going to see that people are going to walk into your kitchen. They're going to see that and they're going to see like, oh, you're crazy. Yeah, people call us crazy, but that's everywhere. In every everywhere, when you see people that they're passionate about, they're going to call you crazy. And, and I, I yeah. feel that that craziness, it's great at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I love this conversation. I think this is where I thrive. And, you know, I, I thank you for this because, I mean, we can go in so many different directions. I, I was watching, um, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, talking about the tape analogy, right? Or folding your towels or, you know, setting up your station with intention, everything done with intention. But I was watching this video, inspiring video of Kobe Bryant. And he was saying that, like, you know, typically a player might, you know, especially after a game might wake up, you know, nine o'clock or 10 o'clock and get into the gym by 12. His thing was, okay, if they get in at 12, then they work for two hours, go on a break, come back, go work for two hours, then go home, right? And spend time with their family. He's like, okay, if I get up at four, then I could be at the gym from six to eight. Then I go on a break, you know, spend time with my family, go back to the gym. So he's already going to the gym four times in one day versus a typical player at two days, right? And then he's saying, in the beginning, you're not going to see the difference. But down the line, there's going to start creating a gap. And then next right. thing you know, you're already five years ahead. And that's why he's I, you know, in, in the Hall of Fame. And I think it's to the point, one, I think it's these daily habits. It's being maniacal about the tape or maniacal about folding the towel because those lead to bigger things. Because if you're not folding, you know, cutting the tape straight or labeling it properly or folding your towels, that probably leads to inconsistencies of the food, right? Or inconsistencies of cleanliness, which is the highest standard. So to your point, it's about creating this environment, challenging each other, like almost like collaborating together to create this environment and holding each other accountable through honesty, transparency, you know, and knowing that the vision is greater than what we're, you know, the vision is so great and every, you have everybody's buying and you're creating that environment, right? 
And, and, you know, I think, and this is going to lead into the next question, Angelo, is I also think that um, with uh, the decisions that, that you make as far as like how and where you spend your time. And I used to sometimes, you know, I might come off as like, okay, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Like if I'm having a team meeting, it's like, okay, I got that. Let's, you know, and it's like not disrespectful, but in the interest of being efficient with where, what we need to accomplish, that's a point we've established it, but now let's kind of stay focused. And, and I, I know that like with, um, trying to make the right decisions. And I think about my every day, I think about it like a my time is like a dollar bill. Like, where am I going to spend that time? Like, I literally like just started taking Taekwondo lessons with my kids. Um, and it's like, hey, that's time that I want to spend. And I'm, I'm in there kind of sparring with Liam and it's it's cool. I love it. But what where I was going at with this is I'm curious, like with the pandemic, you know, we, we all kind of went through this where it was like this thing just like shut us down. And a lot of people had time at home to do things that maybe before they didn't have the time to do. And once they had a taste of that freedom to kind of say, hey, I kind of like, you know, not being in the kitchen, you know, 24 um, seven. Is there anything that you've been focusing on more of? Uh, or projects or things that you've kind of said, hey, I'm going to make time to do this that maybe before you didn't have the time because we, you know, we were all just caught up in the, the thick of thin things just every day. It was just, you know, that I mean, it, it really kind of changed the paradigm with how we view uh, our time. Okay. I love that question. And th- th- this is my thought process is that um, I believe in balance, but I also believe that things I also believe that just being out of balance as well is, is healthy too, right? Because, th- you, you know, it's like that concept of yin and yang. You need the light to balance the darkness, the darkness to balance the light. So you need both, right? So that being said, um, for me, I think this last, you know, pr- even prior to COVID till today, you know, one thing that I set time apart in, you know, in is creativity. Like creativity is, I, I, it's a part of my being, right? Um, and if, you know, I, I believe in, you know, creating things that, that are pure, right. And that are just not like, Hey, like, Oh, well, I looked at this cookbook and I'm going to copy that. It's like something that's genuine and thoughtful. Right. So I believe in this thoughtfulness process and how I, how I put myself in, in a creative space is I'm, I'm a hundred percent, not to sound cliche. I'm in nature a lot. I'm at the beach. I'm putting my feet into the water. I'm feeling what that water feels like, because it, I, if I could just create this neutrality within myself you know, um, then I create this openness. And when I have that openness, I'm, I'm just connected. And when I'm connected to whether, what do you, whatever you believe, if that's Buddha, God, the universe, like mother nature, I believe in the universe. And I believe in that energy that's coming to me. And when I, when I'm truly connected, because if you think the word creator, you know, the, the derivative is creativity, you know, or the extraction is creativity. So when I'm connected to the earth, I'm just like ultra creative. So I would say creating time for creativity to really think about things that are thoughtful, intentional, and that have energy to it that could transform someone or something. Do you, is, do you have a method for being creative, a way that you come up with like your best ideas? Like some people it's like, Hey, when I'm out running, or for me, it's like being alone in the kitchen before the team gets there. Or are you the kind of person that just, you got to be in the environment and think you just see things that kind of spark creativity. Like how, how do you find that creativity? 
Yeah, I'll answer it two ways. I think one, like you, complete solitude, like dead silence is like, almost like monk-like is like the best, <laughs> like put me in a room by myself, probably with as little distractions as possible, but put me in the environment. So that being said for Tia Carmen, you know, um, in, in Phoenix, you know, with the hotel, they were so supportive and they created like, I'll just use the word laboratory for me. Right. And I was able to do fermentations. I was able to organize it the way that I wanted to. So I put myself in that environment. I was able to just connect wow. to the ingredients. And then there was just ideas. And I'll give you a great example. So the other answer was this, um, was I get a lot of, and not to sound strange and weird, <laughs> but to own it is I, I dream a lot. Like in my dreams, I have dishes. And a great example, when we were doing the menu development, seven month menu development for Tia Carmen and having this laboratory of ingredients, spices and all of that and fermentations going. Um, um, I just came in one day because we, you know, I learned how to make mole, right? But I wanted to be in that storyteller. I wanted to it to be relevant to the Southwest. So we have this beautiful uh, tempari bean, which is from the Pima tribe. So I want to take the concept of a mole take these beans. So we did a, 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 a mole negro made from these beans and we fermented wow. it. Now it's fermented 11 months. But that day I walked in and I was just like, hey, nobody talked to me. Okay. I got this. Like, so I made the mole, took these Japanese yams, purple yams, cooked them on the embers of the mesquite to get that beautiful smoke, put that on top of the mole, put some carrots, just roasted them just to the point where they had this beautiful, like al dente, like twosomeness, had them like, you know, standing horizontal, um, covered it with this beautiful cheese, like a queso. It was made from feta, queso like a spuma, and dusted it with this burnt corn dust on top. And when you eat it, you're, I was just like, uh, kind of just dropped the spoon and stepped back. And everybody, wow. you know, I don't drink, so my body's very sensitive, and the hairs on my arms were just like, okay, like this is on point, right? So that's another expression of creativity for me. Is like a lot of times I just dream of these dishes, right? I think mole too, I mean, just as an example, that's already such a catalyst for like so much complexity of flavor profiles. Like there's so, so many nuances of things that are going on. And then when you start kind of adding in uh, the fermentation and the, the burnt corn, I mean, it just, it sounds like there's a, a lot of uh, really cool things happening there. Um, I'll go to a restaurant now. Yeah. Yeah. We were actually, we were just in Arizona like a couple of months ago, or I was, I was in Arizona a couple of months ago, but tell us about uh, the, the location uh, in Arizona, uh, where it's at, what's the, um, uh, the business like there? I mean, is it kind of, is it transient? Um, and uh, what, what do you have other plans for expanding uh, the, the brand uh, beyond um, Arizona? Sure. So, so we're located, so the name of the restaurant is Tia Carmen. Uh, Tia Carmen was my Dominican Tia, uh, as I've spoken about. So, um, you know, people ask me time and time, how did, how did this opportunity come about? You know, it's, it's kind of like your neighbor, Mark, I believe his name was, right? Yeah. It's, just, it's just time and place and putting out those intentions. So that's, that's my answer. It's time and place. We had this beautiful opportunity to partner with the JW Marriott at Desert Ridge. Um, and the ownership brought us on and everybody's just been so gracious and so supportive to bring this vision to life. And I think that's the key right there. We're all aligned with the mantras of the vision. So the buy-in right from the get-go and that culture was there. Um, and, you know, uh, we're in Phoenix. I, I'm, I, I will say this in my ignorant mind, like I thought, 
you know, the Southwest was just going to be corn and, and cacti and, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it's more than that. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. So I am, I like to say that it's almost like the new frontier, right? So we travel throughout the Southwest and Mexico. Um, and so just like an abundance of, of gorgeous vegetables in Santa Fe or Albuquerque, and then traveling through Tucson, like we, we went to the ranchers and saw, you know, a chicken farmer from Top Knot Farm. And, you know, he was a chef that worked at Lebec Finn, you know, in Philadelphia, wow. for George Petier. And yeah. he came to Arizona, and he saw this niche in the marketplace, like who's doing game or who's doing birds at a very high level. So he's bringing that that stamina. And what, what was just so impressive is, I thought that I was actually in Napa Valley, you know, like that's how gorgeous, you know, it was Benson, Arizona, you know, I think it's like 45 minutes from Tucson. It was gorgeous. And this guy had this, you know, once, you know, chef like is bringing this gorgeous product to the table. So again, being that storyteller, we're just telling the story of these amazing farmers and potters. Like our plates are all custom design and the whole intention and vision there was like mother nature just took her hand, grabbed the, the terrain and the earth, you know, picked up her hand and we put food on it and and the plates are just gorgeous they have that that feeling that heartbeat that story so it's all of these stories just compounding that create this just beautiful restaurant i think that kind of opens up a lot of people's eyes to like what they when they kind of look through their mind's eye about the style of food and the ingredients that there's much more of a plethora of of ingredients and and really you got to just kind of get out there and connect with all the uh, small artisans and farmers to really discover a lot of those, those ingredients. Um, I think too, if anything that, you know, from the, the whole pandemic, that, that period of, you know, people being stuck in their homes, a lot of businesses, it really kind of made more economical, like business sense to kind of go and, and look locally for ingredients. I mean, it made, a, I mean, supply chain being disrupted, but if you can, grow some of your own product, or you can kind of have a farmer that's like in your community. They can say, Hey, I, man, I can supply you chickens or I can get you this uh, there. That makes sense for a lot of different reasons. And, and also to tell the story that it's, it's, it's just more, uh, more intimate. And it's just more there that I think a, get a customer it like what they want to hear, you know, it's just, yeah. it feels more special. Hey, everybody, I want to take a second to say thank you to our sponsors. This show is brought to you by the following partners, Meat and Bone. Uh, these guys are just doing an exciting thing in the Miami and Florida area. Uh, check out their website. Uh, it, they offer premium quality meats hand delivered to your door if you live in the Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach area. But also, they ship nationally and you can also visit them at some of their boutique locations in the Florida area. Uh, these guys came up to our recent barbecue class and they brought all sorts of amazing cuts of meat, steaks, brisket. Uh, listen, if you're looking for quality steaks like you would get in a restaurant, check these guys out. They've got some incredible selection and top-notch quality. Uh, check out their website. Uh, also, Ovention Oven. These ovens are, are just incredible. We've used these during the pandemic. They really helped us kind of pivot and reposition ourselves uh, so that we were able to expand our menu without having to make expensive investments in the kitchen. Uh, these, these ovens offer an innovative solution to restaurant operations, opening up a whole new realm of possibilities with your menus. The Ovention Ovens are ventless, they're fast, and operationally friendly in cooking. 
the what we do is we program our recipes in the oven and our cooks just press a button of the image of what they're going to cook. It's a whole new way of cooking. Uh, check out their entire line of Ovention ovens. And of course, Steelite. Steelite International has remained an incredible partner of Rosendell Collective. Uh, they are an internationally world-leading manufacturer of award-winning inspirational dinnerware for the international hospitality industry. They've been a longtime partner of Rosendell Collective, and they're getting ready to uh, sponsor us with some incredible tableware uh, for our new section on Rosendell Online, and we can't wait to see what they're going to come up with. Also, check out Dryager. Dryager offers a level of unprecedented quality for both restaurant and home dry aging programs. They make the most amazing dry aging meat cabinets in the industry. They are designed with sophisticated technology. They're made in Germany, and you can get incomparable taste of restaurant quality steak in the comfort of your own home. Thanks again to our following sponsors. Meat and Bone, Ovention Oven, Steel Light International, and Dryager. Now, back to the show. We kind of talked about this series of the episode being a lot about competition. So I definitely want to get a couple more questions as well sure. on the whole competition angle. Um, what do you think, um, Angelo, for like, just say somebody like Mark out there who is, you know, kind of going down the uh, runway of his career um, do you feel like cooking competitions are, uh, are still things that, you know, is there too many of them or do you still feel like, like right now, something like top chef or some of the shows that are out there, uh, do you feel like they are a, a good, um, uh, sounding board or a good, a, a good, you know, platform for somebody to kind of launch, uh, sure. their career still? Sure. So just speaking to to the marks of the world, right? Young adults that have that fire and passion. You, you know, one, what I would say is be open, right? Um, be open, they'll be selective. Um, I think that not all experience is the same, right? So to your point, be very selective of who you're around, the parties that you're around, like really, you know, I believe in that six man philosophy or you're the average of, you know, the six man or fifth man, right? I, I really believe in that. So be very protective of that um, and, and stay open. To, you know, I don't believe in a right and wrong. I believe there's different perspectives and that's powerful. Now getting to the question, you know, the tooth, you know, the hardiness of the question, right? Competition is brilliant. Okay. For multiple reasons. One, it teaches you discipline. Okay. Discipline accountability, right? Especially when you have a team behind you, right? So you always want to be honest and transparent with each other because it's a team. It's a collective, you know, it's not autonomous, right? So I, I love the discipline of competition. Um, I think being competitiveness brings on an inner fire. Um, and I, I would say like being, it, it, it teaches you to be intentional, right? And I always believe in this philosophy, cook like you're blind, right? And what I mean by that is put things in the exact same place and just imagine you're just cooking and you, it's, it's beautiful when you see a Broadway show or a ballet and there's just so much finesse, right? And it looks effortless. And that's what I attribute like organization and intention and putting things in the exact same places. It's beautiful when you're watching them cook, you know, and it looks effortless, right? Do you still keep in touch with a lot of the people from some of the past um, episodes? And um, I mean, naturally, I'm sure like at different events, um, we all kind of cross paths. You and I both have been out at the, the Raiders Stadium, which is an amazing facility. 
but do you still keep in touch with a lot of the people from uh, from the different episodes? Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it's a small world. The, the industry in itself is a small world. But I think also, too, you know, what, I don't know how many, you know, what are we, I think there's 19 seasons or 18 seasons, you know, it's not many people, chefs has experienced that. So right. you know, it's a brother and sisterhood, right? And, you know, I, I just... In, in life in general, I have an open door, you know, just you're welcome. Whenever you're, you're in Phoenix, you just come right in. You know, we want to take care of everybody. It doesn't make a difference where you place. We're all human. Um, and we experience something pretty magical together. So I think, yeah, a hundred percent to your hundred uh, percent. I, I definitely stay connected. It's a life changing yeah. experience. It, it just is. T- talking about, uh, just keep talking about the, uh, the competition. For me, it's always fascinating. I haven't competed. Uh, at all, probably when I was in school back, like, I don't know, 15 years ago. But how do you get to that point? How do you get, what do you do in social media right now? Or, or what do you have to do to get noticed by Food Network, for example, or for anybody just to go, or you just look for more opportunities, uh, just go and knock doors and something like that? Or how do you get to that <laughs> point like to get to Top Chef or get to Master Chef or any of those TV shows or because I know that there's many people that they're going to say they're going to call you lucky because you got out there in TV, but they have not the full, the full story because I, I was reading everything about, about you. I was literally a stalker before the podcast. And when we met you uh, from uh, AO, AOS and that, that which that's were great, to, great you know, uniform, uh, the aprons yeah, were amazing. You were, I mean, that's what people don't know because uh, you're extremely stylish. You have, you have that sense of like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's different. That's, that's my point is, is it's just another, is another level that many people don't know. They're probably, they, and you know that probably they call you, oh no, you're lucky because uh, you went in Top Chef and then you went again and then you went again and now you have your own restaurant and you, mm-hmm. you were nominated for J- J- yeah. J- but they don't know the full story. So how do you get up there? Wow. Well, thank you. First of all, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, Richard, cover this. One, you have to put yourself out there, right? You just got to be open. You got to constantly put yourself out there. Um, and then through the, that lens of putting yourself out there, you have to be very selective because one road leads to the next, right? But what I will say is prior to even going on Top Chef, you know, at this point, you know, going back in time, you know, I'd worked for Jean Georges for four years. I was in Monaco with Ducasse at Louis XV. I was in Paris. I was staging at um, Arzac and San Sebastian, you know? So I really didn't have to do Top Chef, right? Um, And I don't mean that in an arrogant sense. I'm just saying like I had a good pedigree, right? Um, Though I'm somebody, I'm an individual that I love, you know, I love to learn. I'm always, like you said, I'm always, we're always learning, but also too, I like competitiveness because for me, when you're around the best, it brings, it bring it, you know, brings, breeds that greatness. Right. And I knew at a very, you know, at nine-year-old boy, I wanted to be not just a chef. I wanted to be, you know, a very high caliber chef. Right. Uh, and that's why I took my training so seriously and made, made great sacrifices as, as we've all have. Right. Um, so I think just putting myself out there, um, you know, and, and being very intentional of the direction that I wanted to, to, to go in. Right. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, that's uh, that's great, and and I mean, like I said, I mean, I love the, the entire path that you have because 
probably like you said, I mean, you didn't you didn't need Top Chef and probably was like the last one of the one of the last goal that you wanted to reach because then you have now who you're honoring your Tia Carmen. And that's that's amazing. I mean, just to see all the work that you put. And like I said, I mean, you're extremely stylish. And that's that's something that you put into the food that not everybody can do that is is mm -hmm. is, a, is another level of, uh, of work, too. Mm -hmm. The aprons, too, by the way, th those were just incredible. I know we had uh, we had a bunch of them and <laughs> I, I love that they're the best. One of the question is AOS coming back to life I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to see that because i'm pretty sure something is gonna pop there at some yeah. point i know that it's just starting but we are we, we wanted to bring it up to yeah. life because I, I feel that there's nothing there's no brands out there that they have something like that thank you you know, you know it's very interesting i really appreciate the question so aos what is it it's an acronym for art of simplicity right you know this concept that simplicity is excellence less is more so um, you know, the aprons, you know, I, I, especially, you know, you know, both of you, you're, you're in front of a lot of people, like you want to look good because you want to, you know, feel good, right. And you want to feel confident in what you're doing. So I looked at it from that perspective. So, you know, due to COVID, you know, unfortunately we had to, you know, um, pause a little bit for AOS, but I, I'm re-strategizing of how I want the brand to come to life. Cause I think these are opportunities of pivoting and seeing what the needs are, niche, niches are. I, I, what I would say is, yes, I want it to come back to life. But I think, you know, for me, I'm almost looking at the brand of like, I want to, I, I don't want to get pigeonholed, right? I want to, I want to create things that are beautiful, right? And that could be very open-ended as well. Um, for me, that's kind of like what's on my heart and on my mind is like, I just have to define what that beauty is that chefs, you know, what is that niche, right? Because I want it to be a you know, definitely have an impression. You mentioned uh, Elaine Ducasse. Um, I didn't realize, I didn't know that you had worked there. And I know for me uh, early on in when I was a culinary student, like that was one of the chefs that I really, I thought was just like uh, amazing, was one of my uh, idols uh, in the culinary world. But um, a funny story is I went on a stage one year out to Las Vegas and I had set it up at a bunch of different restaurants and Elaine Ducasse Mix was one of them. And I was only in there for a couple of days and uh, I was talking to the chef de cuisine there. I was like, man, do you think that Elaine Ducasse is going to be here? He's like, oh, you know, he wasn't there super frequently. And they were like, that's very unlikely. So anyway, I was out front. They had me out front uh, in the kitchen and I was like cleaning truffles. And I kind of see just out of my peripheral vision, this, this like really nice suit, like walking up to the line. And I looked up and it was Elaine Ducasse standing here. And I was like, so excited. He put his hand out and shook my hand. And I was like, oh my God, it's just like, it made the entire trip. So that was like unbelievable. But he, he was one of those uh, chefs mm -hmm. that, you know, Joe Robichon, uh, mm -hmm. Jean George, all of those guys, just, you mm -hmm. know, pillars of the industry, as far as like what they've contributed, uh, mm -hmm. just amazing. But that was, that was a cool experience for me. Yeah. What, what, what a brilliant, I mean, what, what, what gets me too is like these people like Jean George and, uh, even Daniel Balud and all these people that yes. I know, they're just such gracious, they're just like gentlemen, totally. you know, and that's beautiful. So when you're at this level of success of how gracious you are and how giving you are and how you want to expand the industry, right, and support the industry and, and guide the industry, I think it's so powerful. So, Chef, I, I, I do have a question. So, you know, I don't know the extent of your career. So, like, what inspires you of when you were, like, young, younger, right, and what inspires you today, like, what does that look like, you know, or has it changed? 
Well, I think uh, for me, whenever I first started cooking, I was definitely, I really, I got the competition bug when I was in culinary school and uh, I started doing a lot of competing and competing kind of took me like all over the world. Like it opened up all these different doors. I found myself traveling to different countries and uh, competing on the Olympic team and then doing Boku store. I mean, it really just like, it kind of just changed the whole uh, trajectory of, of what, if I had not competed, um, I don't know, I probably would have been a completely different chef. Um, but I think that, uh, it goes back a lot further. Whenever I was, uh, in high school, I, I used to get into a lot of trouble. Uh, my, my dad and mom separated and I was, we were like five years old, had a terrible house fire on like Christmas day. And my mom, we had to kind of pick up and move the family to a new town and the family kind of uh, we had the community contributed, gave my mom a car to drive, um, clothes and everything. So I think I, I kind of became humble very early on because I saw how things could be taken away from you and how you have to appreciate the people around you because it, at times they're going to be the only ones that you have. And um, but but when I started going into high school, I still because I guess didn't have the father figure in the house, I got into a lot of trouble. And cooking kind of just got me on track. And I think because of the return on the investment in cooking, all these things that it's kind of given me, um, I think I've been very just great, gracious, uh, grateful for what the industry has given me. And it just, it never really has felt like work. I mean, I kind of, even now, um, I, I love, I, I think just being able to create things. Um, I'm also, you know, I'm definitely, uh, define myself as a chef, but I also feel like I'm also an entrepreneur. I mean, I like creating things. I, I'm fascinated with business. I'm fascinated with food. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it all, it's that maybe that hunger for learning, being a student, the things that we, we've just been talking about. I think that inspires people. You know, you want to be better you know, today than you were yesterday. And the way you do that is you got to kind of just feed that energy. And if you don't have that curiosity and you're not asking those questions, that can stifle a, a lot, you know? And I think the danger of not making decisions and not, not putting yourself out there, uh, that's, that's a dangerous proposition. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes you got to fail uh, in order to, to succeed. I mean, I, I, I know my first restaurant opened up in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, it, it failed. I mean, we ended up, we opened it up and a couple of years later, we had the recession going on and we ended up, uh, you know, it was like the sales like dropped off a cliff and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, am I going to be able to cover payroll and all this stuff? And um, it closed. But I kind of said to myself, I was like, you know, maybe that was the best thing that could have happened, you know, because I look at where I'm at today and that was just part of the journey. You know, what if it, what if it was, what if I was, it was just, you know, just enough sales to squeak me through and I would have made it through, but I never would have had this path, you know, which I love the path that I'm on now, you know, mm -hmm. what if that was good enough, but I wouldn't have had the experiences of what I'm doing today. We probably wouldn't be having this conversation. 100%. And I, I love what you're saying because I, hey, people use this word failure all the time. I, I, I don't necessarily like that word. I love the word discovery, right? right? Totally. To your point, totally. you discovered something, you gained pure knowledge. Like hopefully you're not going to repeat that or maybe you do repeat it, but you're going to learn something new, right? So there's different levels, right? 
Uh, it's almost like karate. There's different belts to life, right? Yeah. And we learn and we grow. Well, and that that's an excellent point because I, I think like you, you and I, I mean, absolutely on the same page with like the discovery part of it. But I think the general public and a lot of people that maybe haven't really experienced that discovery, they're far more familiar and it's easier to discover something or, or to label something as like a failure. But I do, I look at it as like, hey, I when I get uh, introduced, I usually get introduced by my accolades. But sometimes I'm like, man, you'd be interesting to introduce me as, as maybe things that didn't you know, that discovery phase yeah. of the things yeah. that made, you know, they didn't, they didn't go as well. You know, we, when we went to do Boku's door, we were planning on getting gold medal, being on the podium and, you know, it just didn't go that way. But I feel like we made huge contributions to the initiative for the United States. You know, we did, we did, we made major contributions and that we, you know, that was our role in the United States eventually getting onto the podium is, is all of us kind of right. playing our part, you know, making our contribution. That's right. I, I just love this because I think sometimes we fixate, yes, yes, we want to win. Right. But quote unquote, how do you define winning? You know what I'm saying? Totally. And like, sometimes the lesson and the learning is greater than the win. Right. Um, you know, and it's very interesting. It's not like today you just popped up and became successful and had your empire and, it's not like I just woke up today and I'm, I mean, it took, you know, I took out a $13,000 loan to work at Jean Georges because at that time wow. they were paying $6 and 50 cents an hour. And all I did was say yes to chef. And then I took my old Motorola phone. I'm obviously dating myself and flip and I <laughs> typed in, okay, 650 times, whatever the hours. And, oh my God, I can't afford rent. So instead of going home after, you know, and you have to realize is, I lived in Connecticut. So I was taking a two hour train to get to work at Jean Georges. So I was traveling four hours a day. So I had my commute wow. on top of working 12, 14 hours. Sometimes I slept in, you know, in the locker room or slept at Grand Central Station. Right. But the point is, is that those are the start to your point of leading that way. I feel like culinary schools and all this, they teach, you know, obviously they want to set us up, set us up for success, but it would really be powerful to hear these stories. You know, to be successful, it takes, it takes sac I mean, beyond sacrifice it takes when my restaurant in vegas closed there was a time that i lived in my car you know and hey am i proud of that it, it just is what it is but right. what it taught me was i'm a fighter and i believe in myself and i'm not going to get down like hey were there moments where i doubted myself and is this the right path for me i was up against it but i also knew that i was in this put in this position to learn and to grow and to take risk. So I took responsibility. And once I took that responsibility, my life just changed. Right. You know, so, you know, these tough lessons are great lessons. You know, it's like we're going to the Harvard or the MITs of yeah. the world. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, that, and I think that's the thing is, you know, you being transparent and even like what I was saying is the fact that people need to be able to see themselves uh, in these other stories and so that they can say, Hey, listen, I still need to kind of have hope for the journey that I'm on because other people that are maybe 
doing what I want to do, or you have a restaurant, it's like, listen, man, you just got to keep going. You know, it's just like, you don't, if, if you don't get the gold medal, you, you don't, doesn't mean you have to stop competing. You know, it's just that you just got to use that as fuel to keep up the momentum. And, uh, you know, I think you brought up some incredible points and I think that it's going to be really relatable to a lot of our, our listeners. Yeah. So. so, so if you don't, yeah, if you don't mind the question, so like in that moment, so you got up on, you know, they were announcing the, 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 um, you know, the medalist, right. So in that moment, how did you have one, what was your reaction Two, how did you have that wisdom and discernment be like, okay, well, there's a lot of good that came out of here. Right. Yeah. So, so how were you able to view that and how well, much time did it take you to get to that place? Yeah. I mean, surprisingly, I mean, I recovered pretty quickly, like on the way back, I found myself kind of talking to Corey and trying to say, Hey man, listen, dude, I, I kind of use the, uh, the analogy, I don't know if you've seen the, the game, uh, the uh, movie Moneyball, and he kind of talks about how the guy hit the home run and he didn't even know it. You know, like he changed the game. And I said, listen, you know, sometimes, you know, success isn't always, it doesn't always look the way you think it's going to look. And, you know, I feel like we've changed the game. You know, we kind of went in and we, we did something that really wasn't done before with having this, you know, creating this kitchen and really taking this competition to another level. And, but our role was like here, passing this on to the next candidate and then staying on as an advisor and, and, you know, playing our part because it's really not, it's not really about like you going and competing, you know, it's you're representing your country. And you asked about how I felt. I mean, I initially like right away, uh, I had like Thomas Keller standing behind me <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. Uh, so I felt like, you know, my heart, like kind of just my stomach, I was just like, oh God, I'm struggling. Um, so once I had, once, you know, he made me feel, you know, like I should be very proud and, and I was, uh, but him and Danielle, I think that was just looking to all of them and my mentor, Peter Timmons was there. Uh, but, you know, Chef Timmons, uh, used to talk to me about the Boku store when I was an apprentice. And he was the executive chef of the Greenbrier before me. He was my mentor. And he had told me about, he would always like, you know, push me and talk about competing in the Boku store. Little did he know, eventually I would compete in the Boku store. And I think one of the proudest moments for, for me was coming in that morning wow. with this entourage of like some of the world's best chefs wow. and my mentor, Thomas, uh, my mentor, uh, one of my mentors, uh, Peter Timmons standing with, you know, Baloo and Keller and all them. It was just really, you know, that was, that was enough for me. Uh, and they had asked me when we got back, do you want to, do you want to go back again? Uh, you know, obviously you have to go through the tryouts and all this stuff. I was like, absolutely not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm punching out, but I definitely want to stay on and, and be part of the initiative. Um, and then Phil Tessier ended up, ended up coming back and was just an amazing candidate, um, you know, incredible uh, attitude and uh, craftsman. And we finally got on the podium. So it was an amazing, amazing ride and amazing story. Um, but uh, Angelo, this is like really just awesome uh, conversation with you. And uh, we kind of obviously we've had we've exchanged some uh, text and messages and stuff with, uh, you know, obviously doing the stuff out there with the Raiders. And we've talked about cooking classes and different things. But we, you know, any opportunity we have to uh, support what you're doing or to yeah. collaborate, you know, we would love to and definitely want to come out and see you at the restaurant 
uh, in Arizona. I definitely uh, want to do that. And you're, you're always welcome um, out here. Uh, I'm in uh, Northern Virginia. We have the restaurant here and, um, you know, we travel a lot, do a lot of neat things, but, you know, obviously we think super highly of you and uh, I think our listeners are, are going to really walk away inspired. If you can uh, tell us where people can find out more about you and more about the restaurant, um, we would we would love to know. And of course, anything else that you you may you may have. One hundred percent. Thank you. This was. I feel like this was like a first chapter. I feel like we could keep going, right? Totally, man. Yeah. So totally. If there's other chapters. Let's let's dive into this. I'd love, love to. And to. thank you. Really inspiring hearing you talk. Um, you know, I obviously social media is great. Um, Chef Angelo Sosa is my handle for Instagram and then Tia Carmen PHX, I believe it is, uh, for Tia Carmen, um, Phoenix. Yeah. 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 Appreciate you both very much. And this was really awesome to hear. Likewise, Chef. Thank you. Uh, Christopher, anything else? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really pumped. And besides that, I'm, I'm here, uh, helping the, uh, the team. I'm really excited for everything. And just listening to both of you is just even better. It just keep you going. I mean, you both were talking at some point about uh, what you used to do to get to the restaurant, what you used to do to get where you are now. And that's what I feel that in many people, young culinarians is, is kind of like, is, is they're losing that passion. Like what you were saying, like, I mean, what happened in Vegas? Well, I stay in Vegas, so we're not going to talk about that. But it's, it's something that you keep fighting for. You keep fighting because you want to be out there. You want to you wanna be better tomorrow. And and I feel that uh, that's really is, is really valuable for everybody. So thank you so inspiring. much. Inspiring. Thank you for taking this. Thank you, yeah, thank you. All right, thank Chef. You, thanks chefs. so much. Thank All you right. so much. Thanks, Angela. Have a Take great care. day. Thank you. Bye.